एयर पोल्यूशन इज नॉट अ डेली प्रॉब्लम इट्स द प्रॉब्लम ऑफ द एंटायर कंट्री अनफॉर्चुनेटली लॉट ऑफ आवर अटेंशन इज अराउंड दिस एपिसोडिक इवेंट्स बट देन देर आल्सो अ कंटिन्यूअस सोर्स ऑफ एमिशन दैट हैपेंस ऑल अराउंड द ईयर एंड अनफॉर्चुनेटली वी डोंट टॉक दैट मच अबाउट इट व्हाट वी हैव टू ब्रॉडली एज अ प्रिंसिपल अंडरस्टैंड इन सिटीज वी हैव टू रिड्यूस कंबस्शन व्हिच इज बर्निंग इफ आई हैव अ बैड एयर क्वालिटी इन माय सिटी हूम शुड आई hold responsible that right now is very unclear historically these mandates have come through courts mm-hmm. so whether the cng transition in in delhi was also a transition driven by courts so when you have countries which are leaders in automobile production saying no uh, to automobiles after a certain level uh, the writing is very clear aryan let's go Welcome to another episode of the Uru Labs podcast from Bengaluru. Ever complain how bad our cities are, how bad your communities? You'll get to hear from people who are working to solve these problems in their own way. This is your weekly soapbox for urban sustainability. I'm your host Satya Sankaran. Amit Bhatt is the managing director in India for the International Council on Clean Transportation. I have known him during his 12 years stint at WRI prior to this. where he was the executive director for integrated transport based in delhi he is experiencing first hand the pollution the city is currently facing every winter the air quality index breaks the three, three digit barrier it goes above 999 sometimes and uh, it even breaks the measurement devices for example right and international attention is on delhi year after year no amount of hand wringing seems to help there is no doubt that the air will get clean some day in delhi and everywhere else but not by carrying on with business as usual something something needs to give so amit is here to tell us where the problem is and what can be done because there are multiple facets to this problem welcome to the show amit thanks a lot satya and, and nice to meet you uh, at least virtually but uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you uh, and discussing some of these challenges that we face on a daily basis so yeah pleasure to be here so let's jump in with this uh, climax first how long before delhi can breathe clean air what's your estimate so i think de- the air pollution problem is a technical problem no doubt but it's mm. also a political problem mm. because we have seen from world over that you can clean the air in your region but it requires two approach one is the technical solution what is it that we can do but more than that the political will and we have seen that regions across the world uh, that have been able to solve the air pollution problem have been able to do it because there is a political will so delhi is a peculiar case because you have a state government you have a central government uh, and then you also have the state surrounding it uh, and so if you have to clean the air of delhi you have to clean the air uh, which is in and around delhi which is the air shed of delhi now the air shed of delhi extends way beyond even the geographic geographic boundary of the country what it means is that the air that we get in delhi can also be polluted in upstream uh, so right now if you look at the whole farm fire conversation which is going around in delhi where far where uh, paddy crops are being burned in punjab haryana and other places now that air comes to delhi now that cleaning cannot be done by delhi government or agencies which are in the jurisdiction of delhi some of this air also comes from the neighboring country of pakistan if we have to solve the delhi the air pollution problem in delhi we have to solve the problem of the entire delhi air shed and the question is who will do it now absolutely the state governments which are involved have to take their action but we also have to include national government as well the central government because they are the ones who can coordinate uh, what happens in other states so that's one second this air also goes downstream which means it also goes to uttar pradesh uh, bihar uh, parts of madhya pradesh as well as odisha jharkhand and all this place. so it's a entire indo gangetic plain problem so that's the severity of the problem now what we have seen is uh, countries or regions like california which had the same set of problem like we are experiencing in delhi when they were able to clean that problem so it's a doable problem but they followed this regional approach where actions were taken at all the uh, uh, geographies uh, a very strict monitoring and enforcement and then we saw the result so 
to cut the long story short, it will take time because we have to get agencies involved together on the common plane. Then we also have to take scientific actions because a lot of times it's a very unscientific approach in solution. And then we have to understand one important thing. And this is what I really want to tell all the viewers. Air pollution is not a daily problem. It's the problem of the entire country. It is much more severe in the northern part, the Indo-Gangetic Plain. Believe me, air is equally bad in other cities as well. Now, what happens, especially in some cities where either because they are close to sea, you get this land and sea breeze, air gets cleaned, or city like Bangalore, where you get some rain frequently, the, sea, the air gets cleaned. So, but again, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a problem which is there across the uh, country. It is much more severe in the Indo-Gangetic Plain it goes from bad to worse in winters. You might be following this story in Delhi where people are saying, look, air pollution is bad. What are we doing? So it's at a severe level. But come summer where there will be no conversation, unfortunately, on air pollution, but the air will not be good. It will be bad. So we go from bad to very bad to worse and then to severe. But we don't have too many good air days. And that's what we should uh, try to address uh, as we look at the solutions uh, to of air uh, problem in not only Delhi but the entire country as a whole. So that brings an interesting question, right? So you said it is a regional uh, issue. Most people would think that uh, this Delhi is like this uh, symbolic thing where you can see it. All the powerful people are there. Many people visit Delhi and come out, and so they kind of focus on Delhi as a proxy for the entire region. Nobody talks about the bad air in the rest of the regions. If you look, like you said, right now, most of the Indo-Gangetic Plain is bad. But it also uh, is interesting is that the South is showing cleaner numbers. Does this really mean the air quality is better in the South? Because I, as far as I can tell, it seems to be the same everywhere, just that the numbers are not showing. Maybe the wind blew, the rain came down and washed it off. Are we just washing these things off and blowing it away somewhere else and thinking that the rest of the country is clean. How severe is the air pollution problem throughout the country? Yeah, and that's really an important question because uh, one is that we get a lot of attention in Delhi because A, as Raj said, there's a lot of media, there's a lot of powerful people. And so it's a, a, a conversation that takes a lot of media space uh, and rightfully so. But even in Delhi, if you look at the surrounding towns of Delhi, there is hardly any coverage and which creates this perception that air pollution is a Delhi problem, which is not. So that's one. It's the, uh, the problem is at a national level. Now, some of the cities, either like, like for example, Mumbai. Now, air quality is not that good in Mumbai. But because there's a land and sea breeze phenomena and, and the rain and the, and the sea breezes washes away a lot of these pollutants, the problem is not that severe. But there are many days where the air in Mumbai is equally, if not worse than Delhi's. So that you have to understand. Secondly, we also have to understand that Delhi gets a lot of data. So there's an extensive data collection that happens in Delhi, which also gives us this notion uh, that, oh, look at this data, it is so bad. So one is that we have relatively good quality of air quality data in Delhi. And a lot of it is public, so people do take a look at uh, the data. But in many cities, there is virtually no data. We can't say that because there is no data, the air quality is good. So that is what we have to understand. And third is very important is that because of some episodic events that happen in and around Delhi, especially the biomass burning, which happens in winter. Now that takes that air quality from worse to severe category. And that's where all the attention starts that uh, the farm fires or even the crackers that we see, which are burned. Uh, so, so that's the other reason. So the point is, we have to first understand it's a severe problem. It's a major, major health hazard. Not any city is kind of escaping from this health hazard. It's just that there is a lot of noise and coverage which happens in Delhi. And that is why we get all this attention that it is, it is so bad. The causes of this thing, right? I mean, there's a lot of blame game going around. So you blame the Diwali crackers. They will say, no, it is the stubble burning. The stubble burning says, no, it is your transportation. So there is a source apportionment ability to understand that required, but not at city levels, but at a national level that you say. 
what really are the causes and what do you think is the major cause right so we know for a for a fact that most of our cities are congested there's a lot of air pollution you and i worked in transport and we do know that transport is also a leading cause uh, uh, of pollution but when it comes to winter it is about saying no let's just rain the whole thing and wash it off so that we can go on with business as usual i still want to drive my car i still want to i still have to burn my stubble but it's just the weather this is causing the problem that blame of winter is the problem if it rained and if i had winds like how it is in the other parts of the country we won't have this problem how do we deconstruct that statement the causes and where you think attention should be focused sector by sector maybe absolutely so there are two types of uh, issues that are around air pollution so for example there is something called an episodic event okay. which means a certain point in time you will have certain episodes that will cause air pollution to spike now the cracker burning is one episode that happens the biomass burning is one episode that happens and there are some episodes like this right where you get a certain spike for a certain period of uh, time in a year unfortunately lot of our attention is around these episodic events now i am not saying that these are bad or these are good absolutely we have to address these episodic events but then there are also continuous source of emission that happens all around the year and unfortunately we don't talk that much about it now in that continuous source at least in delhi transport is the largest emitter of air pollutants why should we only talk about transport when it comes becomes when we talk when we come to winters when we combine uh, with biomass burning and the cracker burning so transport is one source that is emitting all around the year similarly uh, you have the solid waste burning that happens all around the year you have industries that happens all around the year so we have to deconstruct the air pollutant conversation from episodic events and the continuous events now when these episodic events arrive absolutely we have to deal with it but we should also plan on dealing with this continuous source of emissions right so that's one part of the story the second part of story is in that continuous source are we really understanding how much is the contribution so roughly let's look at the particulate matter 2.5 emission now within the, the boundary of delhi the maximum emission comes from transport and it's about 40% now what do you do with that 40% is a big question now let's understand how does a transport vehicle pollutes our cities right so if you have a vehicle and if you want to understand whether the my, my vehicle is clean or not there are two ways you can understand one is that when the type approval happens of that vehicle uh, you will get certain emission factors and and that will tell you what's the quantum of emission that is expected Uh, from this uh, vehicle that you are purchasing and if you maintain that vehicle fine uh, you will be within that limit second is you get this vehicle and you do undergo this pollution under control certificate or puc certificate as we call uh, which you can do it every 6 month or in many cases it's almost at on a yearly basis so let's say if i have a puc certificate then i am legally complying uh, from the clean vehicle category and this is where actually the problem starts now in delhi everyone is talking about particulate matter pm 2.5 pm you will you open the newspaper you will see pm 2.5 in your puc test we don't capture particulate matter emission we don't capture nox emission because nox then goes up in the atmosphere and creates particulate matter again now my problem is if the transport is a problem and if you are not capturing what is the particulate matter emission then even with the vehicle that has the so called puc certificates how are we saying this vehicle is clean vehicle so there is something fundamentally wrong in terms of how we are judging which vehicle is clean and which vehicle is not clean now please understand this puc regime was designed 25 years back where technology was limited uh, and motorization had just started and maybe at that time it made sense now the vehicles are so sophisticated and again many cases you have had in 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 many countries uh, where manufacturers have installed chip devices to 
manipulate this emission. So I think that's all coming. So I think we also have to look at how do we change our regulatory environment uh, that looks at uh, better understands what comes out from the vehicle, right? So that's one part. The second part of the problem is now how does this testing happens? Now this testing happens when you take this vehicle, you put it on a stationary, you move out of the vehicle, the guy will insert a probe on the exhaust pipe, it will measure. It's not a real world scenario because the emission also happens on how you are driving, what is the quality of road, what is the quality of infrastructure, uh, how you are maintaining the vehicle, whether it is loaded, unloaded. So there are a lot of factors which will influence emission. That we are not capturing. So the problem is that we are not capturing the real world emission that is coming out from transport vehicles. And therefore, we are not even understanding the severity of the problem which these vehicles are causing. So the question then becomes, how do we better understand? I think this is what we have to understand, uh, move forward. And many cities and countries around the world have are not deploying sophisticated technologies to better understand the emission from transport. And believe me, the real world emission and the lab values differ by not some percentage point but by an order of magnitude. Wow. And in many cases, seven, eight, 10 times is the more emission that happens in the real world than in the lab values. So the so if that is the case, how do you deal with it is something that we have to think a little bit more. And thirdly, I think then how do you devise strategies where you promote cleaner modes of transport, mode of transport that not only work on uh, public health, but on climate change, but on equity and, and, and those kinds of things. I think that is what we have to think a little more. But uh, the problem is we have not understood the real impact of transportation vehicles on public health. And that should be a very important starting point as we move towards fighting air pollution in our cities. So before I come back and talk about PUC, uh, I totally agree with you because I think today the technology is available. If you can read how many kilometers per liter, all those kind of data that you're having, why not you know capture that and show it on your dashboard? You're emitting so much. And even if it is, there are many different ways of doing this uh, measurement itself, right? You go for a service every time. Why doesn't he measure and upload the data to the RTO website? at the service center itself, what is your fitness, what is the PUC, all of those kind of things. I think there's a lot of reforms I want to come back to on, but I want to uh, touch upon this recent uh, Supreme Court, uh, or uh, was it High Court of Delhi, it said, go and clean up something urgently. So they wanted to do cloud seeding and some rain came and washed it away. This, yes, it is an immediate visible uh, approach. But uh, if Delhi government had to do something or any of these state governments or city governments needed to do something, that's all they could do because they will punt the ball to uh, the central government and say, look, I can't control how the stubble is being burnt in Punjab. So is there anything at the central level that has taken cognizant of this fact? Because I know that the pollution control boards, the CPCB and the KSPCBs of the world have done some clean air action plan and all of those things. But KSPCB in Karnataka's case, I've seen their action plan. They just punted it back into the other departments. Uh, BBMP put some water fountains, you do some cloud seeding, you know. There is a, is there, is KSP, uh, is the CPCB uh, appropriately empowered to actually take punitive action on people. I don't think that exists, right? What do you think is that long-term solution? Who should be empowered to start on this journey? No, absolutely. And I think if you look at most of the action, it's mostly a, of a reaction. It's like an applying a bandaid to an injury. Yes, bandaid is important, but then the injury will not go away just by bandaid. Sometimes you need to do a major surgery. But the question is, who will do that surgery? And that's what I was suggesting that we have seen that the problem of air pollution being addressed only when we have taken a regional approach. If I have to solve the problem of Delhi, studies have shown that in terms of the emission that comes to Delhi, roughly 60% comes from outside Delhi boundary. Now, assuming that if Delhi government takes all the action to solve the Delhi air pollution problem, maybe it can bring down that 40% to zero, but it cannot do anything on that 60%. Mm. Similarly, let's say if, uh, uh, if UP government wants to solve the problem of air pollution in UP, it can do what is within its jurisdiction. It cannot do what is outside its jurisdiction. 
and that's where i think we have to create either working groups or authorities that cut across jurisdiction let's say if we have something like a delhi air shed authority which has powers to address air quality in the entire delhi air shed region it can then actually direct what haryana should do what punjab should do what you delhi should do what up should do so we have to either the state government uh, or the, the central government has to come forward and say that look this is what we'll be doing uh, and ministry of environment forest and climate change can take that leadership role or ministry of public health can take that leadership role or we create something a, th- a separate authority like we have national highways authority of india which does highway construction across states and it has that power to do it so we have to either empower existing institutions to take this work or create new institution to take this work because believe me the problem lies in coordinating with multiple states mm-hmm. anything that goes across a ju- state jurisdiction boundary it's very very difficult to do so this is where i think the start should happen we have to first understand that air pollution problem of a city or a state is not restricted to its jurisdiction boundary its geographic boundary it goes across that geographical boundary who will then take that role in coordinating and making sure that other states also do the same action and that's where we have to create these agencies and authorities either by empowering the existing set of people or creating a separate authority which can take the conversation forward so the central pollution control board is just a board it's almost like a coffee board uh, i have seen that even the state pollution control boards which ultimately was set up by the courts to just monitor right so and they have very clearly said i am only supposed to monitor and tell you what to do and they have punted the ball to different agencies and they have regular meetings and it is chaired well but uh, i don't think they are interested in solving the problem uh, i don't know what is being done in the ministry of environment uh, and forest and climate change so what will what will they do in cop 28 for example when they go in december they are taking targets they are negotiating something at a large level it is not percolating down because there's a lack of coordination each city is wringing its hands but all yeah. the pollution is being washed into it at least 60% of it there is the 40% that i think urgent action needs to be done 40% is good enough now that at a state level where do you think it's going from what i see delhi has tried its bit with odd even rules with trying to get more evs into the mix to clean the tailpipe emissions do you think that is helping is that something that can be tried out in the large cities on the transportation side what else do you think can be done apart from the pollution under certificate reforms in actually measuring it better for the existing vehicles let alone moving what we have to broadly as a principle understand in cities we have to reduce combustion which is burning now that burning can be the burning of fuel that burning can be that burning of solid waste it could be industrial uh, burning so as a principle we have to move away from combustion in cities so that's a larger principle uh, and again you know cooking is also a major health uh, impact contributor not ex- uh, not only externally but also internal pollution so how do we move away to a society which does not rely on combustion and that's a larger philosophy now in the transport space if you look at and again i have some delhi data two wheeler and three wheeler account for almost 40 42% of particulate matter emission followed by trucks around 30 35% and then we have cars and other things so the question is and if transport continues to be a largest source of emission what is it that we can do and therefore we have to create cities that one do not depend on motorized mode of transport which is how do you then promote walking and cycling in cities and when we talk about any good city people give example of paris amsterdam london but all these cities are very good for walking and cycling so how do we start from planning cities that don't require transport second cities will have long trip uh, trip distances so how do you promote public transport and this way i think a lot of work needs to be done because somehow 
public transport is now becoming synonymous with metro now metro is a good project it will serve you or certain routes which are high density but not the entire city is high density so how do you get in buses how do you get in feeder how do you get in other modes of transport uh, that will come in so after that we will still have certain motor vehicles left you will also have a lot of freight motor vehicles freight vehicles that will be left how do you convert them to zero emission and that's where i think electrification comes in because one there is zero tailpipe emission so you are not actually adding to the combustion in in the city yes the power pop plant is there it is emitting somewhere so then how do you shift to more renewable energy is the question so i think from the transport side i would really look at how do we encourage more walking cycling how do we encourage more public transport and how do we encourage to zero emission vehicle i think if we follow this we can move forward to a scenario where at least the transport emission in cities is brought down a minimal which is currently very high in most of the other cities the bus is very interesting in public transport right now the metro has a huge amount of mind space because it's nice it's fancy it gives you clean it's also ties in with the aspirational goals that we have right now um the bus is usually seen as the poor man's mode and not many governments are interested in putting more buses but with the new schemes the pm bus scheme and the one earlier with the esl run fame 2 subsidies and all that some amount of e buses are also coming do you think the industry is ready to take this transition because you have seen some of these people the two and the three wheelers are moving slightly faster than the heavy commercial vehicles right even the light commercial vehicles are struggling with the electric uh, changeovers the buses are coming in but it's not tested for large volumes and the industry needs to pick up do you think we are actually moving fast enough on this transition are there still skeptics sitting around and saying no until we clean everything from the beginning it's not going to work tailpipe is not important what do you what do you see as the sense in the transition you already laid the stage for this transition is it happening and what else needs to be done is only delhi doing it it's happening but one the pace is slow and it is restricted to a certain geography one of the things that i often keep getting asked that why we are promoting electric when the power source is predominantly coal it's a valid question but for example we did some analysis so to find that one if you look at the greenhouse gas emission even with our current predominantly a coal dependent grid an electric vehicle is cleaner in terms of life cycle emission right so that's one but i think now we know a pathway and the pathway is you produce green electricity which is renewable energy solar wind and other forms and you use that green energy for transportation which is the battery electric vehicle now with the internal combustion engine that pathway is not there i mean we have reached levels where we just cannot improve any tangible efficiency improvement in internal combustion engine so we can't solve the climate change problem with internal combustion engine so that is very clear the question is what is it that we do so one definitely how can we avoid the need for a, a motorized transport that's the starting point so how do you build cities which are more walking cycling friendly more public transport friendly and that's where and then you shift to electric the second is while you may debate whether the electric is clean or not there is no debate that electric vehicles have zero tailpipe emission and in the cities that are struggling with emission you just cannot add more emission to it so i think that's is something which have to be recognized as very clear third is few years back the electric the battery prices were very high and it was not financially viable to bring electric vehicles with the prices coming down and projections show that going forward the prices will come down so the question is how are we how are we preparing ourselves for this transition i think this is also very important that yes everything will not happen tomorrow next year or five years maybe in next 10 15 years this transition will happen and so how we are prepared and the third and the fourth important point is this phenomena is going to happen all across the world it is already happening 
because cities which are struggling with air quality are saying that look we can't add more combustion in cities so european cities are coming up with target of phasing out internal combustion engine vehicles and this will also happen so if the world is transitioning to a zero tailpipe emission future why should we be left behind and that is a question and i think that's where we see certain use cases are moving faster the two wheeler three wheeler is a very great story the bus story is also picking up uh, again uh, technology is new it will take some time to mature so we will have some teething problem uh, which we saw even with the cng transition in delhi mm-hmm. so when cng buses came in there a lot of back and forth which happened but eventually the technology transition happened so the same thing will happen with uh, uh, buses as well but we also have to understand that in a lot of emission happens in the city is through commercial vehicle heavy duty vehicles or light duty vehicles how are we going to deal with that will also be very important and that is something unfortunately we are not having too much conversation about and that needs to happen uh, because it's not only about that the car two wheeler is contributing you have a lot of trucks uh, that come in and we and 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 a lot of goods are being uh, brought into cities with larger and smaller trucks how do we clarify that bit is going to be very very important in the future so that's very interesting right so there are, there will be an existing set of older <clears throat> vehicles which are uh, following the older norms of uh, the inefficient way of measuring the uh, tailpipe emissions we still need standards and reforms to continue to do that for the next 10 15 years in order for us to phase those out and move to newer technologies and as and when new industries come up with new technologies i think the energy intensity itself will put a pressure on cleaner uh, see unless the products are out there they'll say well, who am i doing this for right that is also there but that also brings to this question on um, the we are going to be a 5 trillion 8 trillion whatever right superpower of the world with 10 trillion economy and all that when we are going in that direction and our economy is producing more and more goods and transportation increases the energy intensity also increases right now everything is coming fueled by petrol and diesel so the question is by trying to get us off of this are you stifling the growth we are not ready they'll give the example of no till china became a really developed nation they never cleaned their air they were suffering the hazes and everything all countries have suffered their hazes and then they went and cleaned it up by pumping more money the standard excuse is no we shouldn't do it now we should do it only when we are rich enough but now that we have seen that even if you are not rich you are going to be affected by this anyway how do we square these two arguments is that energy will go up 4x but we are supposed to be lower than where we are today and should you solve the economy problem first or should we solve this later so this first second sequentializing starts coming up how do you view this uh, particular argument well, i think it's an important argument that is there and just uh, uh, i mean you, can you count your money by holding your breath uh, you can't so the question is uh, you can't have economic development and prosperity unless you have uh, at least a basic uh, uh, essence of life in your place uh, please understand uh, so we're already seeing this as we move in this economic development change we are going to attract we need human resource to help us right and if you are going to compete with the powers of the world we will be looking at global uh, human resources i am already seeing that uh, and i have a small organization and when we ask people to come and work one question that i often gets but can we work outside delhi because we know what happens in winters in delhi so already we are seeing people are refusing to come to places which don't have good air quality or places which have very bad air quality now how will we compete with the rest of the world when the human resource is not ready to come to the place because the air quality is, is, is poor yes certain set of people will come because they don't have choice but people who have a choice will also look at uh, these issues so i think that's very important second is should we also follow the mistakes of the west and then the same trajectory to clean uh, we can we did we need not and one example is uh, we actually leapfrogged the entire landline journey and we came directly to mobile 
So why should we wait for next 20, 30 years uh, uh, in, and, and, and take a learning from how London or some of the other places solve the problem? So I think right now, one good thing for us is that we know the pathway, which was not clear earlier. So the pathway is very clear in most cases on how to solve the problem. The second is the question of economic uh, burden that might come. I think we are looking at that there is definitely a value in economies of scale. So for example, a lot of, and I've been talking a lot of OEMs and saying, can we, for example, give, create electric trucks in India? And they are saying, yes, we can create electric trucks. We have the tech, but where is the demand? And when I speak to people who are demand, on the demand side, they are saying, yes, but then where is the supply? So now we are in this and supply demand vicious cycle. That unless there is a demand, I cannot supply. And unless I can supply at scale, I cannot bring the cost. And people in the science saying that unless they can get a slightly competitive prices, so they can. So I think there is this vicious cycle which is happening. And this is where I think the government should come in and intervene and break this vicious cycle. So for example, let's say if tomorrow Delhi decides all my municipal fleet of commercial vehicles will be electric. All my water tanker trucks, or my horticulture trucks, or my CND disposal trucks, or my uh, so all kinds of trucks would be electric. That will send a signal to the market saying that look, in next couple of years we expect this much demand to come in. The OEMs will start producing vehicles. The prices will come on. This is exactly what happened in the two wheeler, three wheeler, and the car space as well. So I think. This is where the governments can come in with signal, which is a strong intent that this is the future. And, and we will see this signal, uh, the, the industry reacting to it. So I was in Delhi when the CNG transition happened. And believe me, till the day before the order came out that we will transition to CNG, we did not have a single manufacturer with a vehicle that runs on CNG. We did not have a single shop where you can go and buy a CNG vehicle, uh, buses and, and, and autos. And people were asking where this vehicle will come from. Six months down the line, the vehicles were there, the manufacturers were there, and everything fell into place. This is the power of this market, uh, the signal that government can give. So if government gives this signal, believe me, OEMs will come in line and we will have much more competitive prices uh, as of now. because Definitely, there is a reluctance to change. People like to maintain status quo, but we know uh, what is the cost we are paying with the status quo. But it's almost like this. Uh, this is almost like a not. I don't. I wouldn't call it a lifestyle disease. It's like okay, pollution is a long term. I don't. I don't see it hurting me, so I can switch later. Uh, there, uh, there would be a large scale revolt against a diktat uh, of some such kind. But people who are there and facing the music know uh, that you can't get away from this by washing it with rain. You have to have some kind of dictates. So what has happened so far? So let's look at the government part of it and what they need to do. Uh, right now, there are incentive schemes, right? Typically, it's better than a coercive measure like a dictate. You say, okay, there is PLI scheme for you to manufacture. There are some some states have offered GST uh, credits or tax or tax credits for uh, uh, purchasing electric vehicles. Some others are doing this. They are also doing this procurement scheme through the you know national bus mission and things like that. So these are there, but yet it's the supply and demand market economics that works out. And it has worked well for two and three wheelers like you see. Quite a few people are buying it because there is a cost uh, improvement. But on uh, from the government side, is the signaling adequate? Is this okay enough to continue? Or like you say, there has to be, there is a, uh, <clears throat> this whole uh, PM Eba Seva is a scheme, but I'm saying Swachh Bharat was a mission, the target, and there wasn't any dictates, but it was driven down. And the states don't like it because transportation is a, a concurrent list. And these guys will start saying, why am I being pressured into doing something like this? My air is cleaner in Bengaluru, so let Delhi deal with it. I am, I know until I hit alarming levels, it is not going to affect me. 
how do you think an effective coordination can be set up uh, we have already said the pollution control board isn't taking too much of responsibility other than measuring uh, how where do you think the moef and cc can uh, move next what should the central government do what should the state governments do and what can the city governments do uh, half the cities don't have good governance but let's stick to state state and center at least absolutely that's a good question our electrification journey is largely revolving around financial support and it's a good starting point because when you're bringing in some new technology people are skeptical whether it will work or not the cost is high so you give financial support to bring down the cost and also demonstrate the technology and which is very good this alone cannot solve for the entire transition because one we don't have enough money to convert all the vehicles to electric so it's a good starting point but in the long run we need few more things so what is it that we can do so one of the things that has worked very well again it's a different and difficult sell is this issue of mandates so it started with california and they said look the prices are high how do we bring down the price and they said we will give certain quota to all the oems to sell zero emission vehicle when I mean, you can have any technology you can achieve zero emission with internal combustion engine you can do it as well so they said we will give a quota first few years 5% 10% 15% 20% and so on so what it does is that let's say if i'm an oem and i have to sell 5% of my vehicles as electric the cost is let's say high let's say cost is double but since i have to sell i will bring down the cost and i will compensate it by marginally increasing the cost of other vehicles and therefore it works out very well that you reduce the cost of zero emission vehicles so that you are able to sell and you marginally increase the cost of other vehicles so are you able to compensate and that is one scheme that does not require any money from the government so that's one secondly what governments have also said that they have signaled to the industry the larger transition which is going to happen so when europe said we don't want we will not register any internal combustion engine cars by 2035 it was a signal to the industry that if you have to sell you have to change your product mix again no money involved but a larger level signal which was there and in third for example in london and all they said we will create ultra low emission zones emission zones saying that if you are polluting you can't come in only certain technologies will be allowed and again it gives a signal to the market so i think what we have to do is in this coming years is move beyond financial incentives and create these signals either through mandates or through targets or creating cities which don't allow polluting vehicles to come in once you bring in these policies in place believe me industry is smart enough to create vehicle very smart enough to market these vehicles and super smart enough to sell these vehicles all of us have been working on uh, trying to reduce the intensity of motor vehicles whether it is two wheelers or four wheelers or anything while we are trying to solve the vehicle problem we are also trying to wean people away out of their personal vehicles and into the alternate modes like public transport walking cycling and other things the this as long as we continue to take the guilt away and say you know you are driving a cleaner car you are driving a cleaner motor vehicle you can continue to congest the roads you are having this livability issue again there is time wasted on the roads there is uh, right now it is fuel wasted next it will be guilt free congestion on the roads but you still having an economic issue so at some level the mandates for that is not there even the political class is looking at public transport as uh, you know something that's only for the poor people and not many people are going to use it or unless for the public transport is a metro that's the only thing they are interested in investing in uh, where do you see the role of mandates in that there are lots of tools and techniques right technically you have congestion pricing road pricing you have parking charges none of this is being done anywhere being in delhi and looking at all of these things many schemes many programs many missions do you think the role for the mandate is arrived ul ez slow emission zones and things like that need to be mandated do you see any movement towards that with this tod and all that even that seems to be quite lax 
where do you see that moving can we shift people out into more efficient public transport walking cycling things how long of a journey will that be one is that there is no option no. but to shift to that premise but the big question is will we do it soon enough and that to me is a question mark because somehow we have been slightly reluctant when it comes to any kind of mandates historically these mandates have come through courts mm-hmm. so whether the cng transition in in delhi was also a transition driven by courts uh, so that's one uh, but again if you look at globally cities are moving towards and even china which produces so many cars most cities have a restriction that you can't add beyond a certain number of cars in cities so when you have countries which are leaders in automobile production saying no uh, to automobiles after a certain level the writing is very clear the question is who will drive this transition and so we did some work to understand who has a regulatory power to drive uh, let's say a, a low emission zone mandate uh, in, in 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 cities and we realized that the powers are there at central level the powers are there at state level and there are enough powers at local level also to drive this and we looked at couple of states so we realized that moefcc morth mo ministry of housing and urban have these powers to drive uh, uh, the conversation even at state level cpcbs spcbs and state government the state pollution control board the state in uh, ministry uh, ministries of environment forest uh, and local level urban local bodies also have power uh, so i think there is enough regulatory power to drive it the question is about the will and that is something which is not very clearly coming out because then if you have these kinds of restrictive measures uh, certain people will be impacted positively if a large society will be impacted positively but there will be certain people who will be impacted negatively and how do you deal with it is a problem so for example parking is the lowest hanging fruit can we charge people the real parking price of parking people somehow think it's a birth right to park free anywhere and everywhere they feel like uh, and and we have not able to resolve that so i think we'll have to start with some of the low hanging fruit and then move up the chain because to me eventually we will have to do the sooner we do it the better it will be for everyone so by the time i release this it will be mid december and cop 28 would be over everybody would have gone and come back do you have any hope that something will change on the ground to drive this faster yes commitment is there at a national level you have ndcs that are been committed but driving it through the ground into the state and with different levels and varying levels of capacities to do things varying levels of intent to do things different parties in different governments trying to say why who is he to tell me kind of things right so in this kind of an environment at a bureaucratic level do you think do you see any movement to drive this either with i think people have handed it off to the pollution control board for whatever it is i don't think it should even be called a control board it should just be called a measurement board if that is what they want to do how much uh, where, who should you who do you think should drive the mandate and then of course you talked about mandates on the industry which is ministry of heavy industries then you have road transport and highways then you have housing and urban affairs then you have moef and cc do you see that consultative committees coming together do you think something will happen uh, in the near future i firmly believe that will happen i think the only question right now is the timing right now with the elections coming in so few states already are undergoing election and then we have a national election mm-hmm. early next year i think post election i think things will move uh, uh, but again it's it will be a different it will be a difficult sell uh, because uh, it will definitely impact few people uh, in, in a negative manner but the big question is can we do it without it absolutely not and to me i think the big transition would be let's say if i have a bad air quality in my city whom should i hold responsible that right now is very unclear should i go to pollution control board should i go to municipal corporation should i go to state government should i go to national government should i go to farmers in punjab 
or should I go to the big SUV, which is uh, which which may be my neighbor's SUV as well? So that is not very clear. So I think once we have a clear authority who will drive the change, change will happen. And for us, we have to create this enabling framework so that we can get this change agents in place. Amazing. So let's conclude with the roadmap for, let's not call it Delhi now, since we have enough knowledge to not say it's a Delhi problem. Uh, what do you think are the steps that cities can take? Because this is also an urban problem. Majority of our people are living in urban areas. While the apportionment and uh, the national coordination is happening, cities can do certain things. What do you think are the first two, three things that a city government can do within their remit uh, to push their might forward without giving an excuse that, no, this is a large problem. Till that happens, we will not do anything. Right. And what do you think the citizens can do today to start, you know, doing something like this? So one, definitely what cities can do is understand the importance of transport. Uh, not only in providing uh, the economic linkage, but also understanding the public health. And, and, and so that's one. Second, they should start prioritizing in terms of the efficiency based mode of transport. So create sidewalks which are good, which invite people to walk, create uh, infrastructure that encourages people to safely cycle, add more public transport, add more buses and then create a, uh, enough charging infrastructure so that whatever vehicle is left uh, is, is, is zero emission. So I think if we can start with this approach, I think we will be doing a lot in terms of understanding uh, that the future is zero emission and walking and cycling are the most beautiful zero emission vehicles that we have right now. Second is what is it that individuals can do? Absolutely, uh, we can first start respecting pedestrian and cyclist. A lot of times I see people honking when you see cyclist in front and come on, a cyclist is helping you in fact, giving space uh, so that you can uh, move in your car. So start respecting people who are walking and cycling, start respecting people who are using public transport uh, and not see them in any, in, in any inferior way. And then, uh, possible shift away from diesel and then shift away from internal combustion engine vehicles to zero emission vehicles. Amazing, Amit. I think we have a good uh, roadmap to uh, cleaning up our cities. I just wished we could do it faster and we don't have to continue to breathe clean air. And I think uh, continue to breathe bad air and want to breathe clean air. And like you said, it stuck to me, is that you think economic development should be done first and then clean the air. No, it is the economic development is not going to happen because like you gave a practical example, people don't want to live there and do the economy that you want them to do, right? It's not happening, right? It's, you're not going to live in this bad air, getting asthma and all of those things and still say, oh, the economy is going to grow. It is not going to grow. So I think we are in that unique situation where, like you said, we have to do both of these in parallel, grow the economy and the energy intensity and yet clean the air. So wonderful having you on the show. I mean, thanks for coming on the show and talking to us uh, about all of these things. This is a reminder to everybody else to like, subscribe and share. If you want to see Amit again, let us know. We'll bring him back and talk to him a little more about these topics. Maybe something specific uh, on some other topic next. So see you all next week. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot, Satya. Bye-bye.